From Romans chapter 7, we have learned that the law has been given in order to bring our sin to light, to force sin to show its hand. We've come to understand so far that the law is not against us. The law of God is not against humanity, but it is against sin. Paul told us last week that the law is good, the law is holy, and the law of God is righteous. And here today in verse 14, Paul teaches us that the law of God is also spiritual. He says the law is spiritual. And to be spiritual is to be free and unfettered. Jesus says so in John chapter 3 and verse 8 that the spirit blows wherever it pleases. The spirit is free. The spirit does what it wills to do uninterrupted unmolested by any outside influence. The spiritual then is the non-material, transcending time and space and matter. Spiritual things are unmoved and unmovable. The law is spiritual. It is stable. It is consistent. And most importantly, to be spiritual, is to be true to your essence. That's what it is to be spiritual. And the law is spiritual. But in contrast to the law, Paul says that humankind is fleshly, tethered to the world. Humankind can be moved. We can be knocked off course. We can be distracted. To be fleshly is to be inconsistent, to be untrue to our original essence, to be malleable, to be changeable. Humankind is fleshly. The law is stable, but humankind is volatile. The law is permanent while humankind is transitory. The law is settled, but humankind is unsteady because we have been, as Paul says, we have been sold into bondage to sin. Our predecessors sold us, Adam and Eve sold us, and we are not free. Humankind is bound to sin, married to inconsistency. And wherever our abusive spouse wants to take us, there we are bound to go. We are sold into bondage to sin. Paul goes on to say that mankind is also conflicted. He says in verse 15, I do not understand what I am doing. I have no idea what I am doing. I am conflicted. Befuddled by my own actions, mystified by my propensity to sabotage my own self, and I don't know why I do it. 
But I keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Humankind has OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. All of humanity has OCD. We cannot control our behavior. Even though our sinful behaviors do not satisfy our deepest longings, even so, we continue to serve the sin and to undermine ourselves. I do not understand what I am doing. The most difficult question for any human being to answer is simply this, who am I? All humans wrestle with this same question, who am I? I don't know what I am doing. Who am I? And this question is daunting both for the person who is out of touch with their own emotions as well as for the person who is self-conscious. Who am I? We do not understand what we are doing. Our sinful actions seem to lack rhyme or reason. There is no method to the madness of our sin. Our sinful deeds accomplish nothing good for us and we know it, yet we cannot seem to abstain from sin. I do not understand what I am doing. Paul goes on to say that humankind is undisciplined and unruly. He says, for I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. I cannot seem to control myself. I am undisciplined. The alcoholic takes a seat at the bar. She orders a Long Island iced tea. And she sits there and she stares at that alcoholic beverage. She knows that she should just go home. She knows that her addiction is destroying her marriage, is destroying her life and foiling her future. She knows it. And with every atom in her being, she wants to get up and walk away. But before she knows it, she is on her fifth drink. Drinking to relieve the anxiety of being an alcoholic. It makes no sense. Sin makes no sense. And sin makes me make no sense. He is out of control. A walking time bomb. He knows that his temper is too hot. He knows that if he gets up in the middle of the night and goes over and harms his neighbor's dog, that he's going to land himself in a lot of trouble. But the dog keeps on barking and he loses his senses. Before he knows it, he's kicking the neighbor's dog in the middle of the night while his neighbor calls the police. He couldn't help himself. He is out of control, undisciplined. Humankind is undisciplined. Unable to do what is in our own best interest. We are undisciplined and unruly because the sin that binds us is undisciplined. 
and unruly. Sin is wild. And Paul says to us that this is proof that the law is good. He says in verse 16, however, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good, that the law is better than me. The law is disciplined and focused, but I am undisciplined and scattered. The law of God is consistent, but I am inconsistent. The law of God is good, but I am not. And I would offer this challenge to anyone who disagrees with Paul's assessment. To consider for a moment the life that you would have if you obeyed God's law. Consider what that life would look like. Don't just focus on the rules, but instead look ahead and imagine the kind of life that you would have if you obeyed the laws of God. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 18 and 19, God promises, you shall therefore follow my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out so that you may live securely on the land. Then the land will yield its produce so that you can eat your fill and live securely on it. That's just about what every person wants, isn't it? Security and abundance. Again, he says, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Security, abundance, and a sense of belonging. Isn't that what you really desire? Isn't that what every person really desires? Security, abundance, and a sense of belonging. Okay, can you imagine that then, what your life would look like if you obeyed the law of God now? Take a look at your life right now. And by comparison, you will see that the end results of the law stand head and shoulders above your current situation. The law is better than you. Its ends justify its means. But your sin is unjustifiable. Because the end result of your sin is destruction, insecurity, emptiness, and a sense of displacement and a, displacement and a sense of lostness. Is that really what you were aiming for? Is that really what you wanted for yourself, destruction? Nope. You were aiming for, and every human being is aiming for, the very best life he or she can attain. We're all looking for the best life, the most fruitful and abundant existence. That is your aim, no matter who you are. I read last week that God has set eternity in the heart of mankind, and eternity is the goal and the aim of every human soul saved and unsaved. That is the aim, that is the target. But humankind continuously miss, misses what it is aiming for. 
Somewhere deep within, every sinner knows that their unruly attitude and their undisciplined lifestyle has no merit whatsoever. Everybody knows that. Yet they persist in sin against their better judgment. Every person, even the sinner, can appreciate the ideal set forth in the law of God, but no one can live up to that law. That tells us that the law is greater than us. This is where I part ways with the doctrine of total depravity, the idea that humanity is thoroughly corrupt and sinful. Because what Paul is saying here is that there is some aspect of mankind, there is some portion of our being that actually wants to do what is good. Anything that wants to do what is good cannot be thoroughly corrupt. Every person, the murderer, the thief, the liar, the drunkard, every person wants to do good. But we are overpowered by something. And that's something Paul explains to us. That something is sin. It is easy for the sinner to conclude that I myself, he himself is just no good. That's why when you confront a sinner with their sins, they take it so personally. Don't judge me. Only God can judge. I am just living my truth. Well, no one is judging you, sinner. Especially not the believer who is thoroughly trained in the scriptures because the person who has studied the word of God understands that you are not the problem. You never were. You are not the problem. You simply have a problem. Sin is not your fault, I said it before, sin is not your fault, but sin is your problem. You have a problem. Paul makes it abundantly clear in verse 17 when by careful analysis, Paul concludes, no longer Am I the one doing it? But sin dwells in me. Interesting. Listen to this. Paul says, yes, you are going through the motions of sin, but you are not the one who is doing it. Sin killed you and took your place a long time ago. What you are doing that is against the law of God is not even you who is doing it. What you are lusting after that is not you. You are not a human doing, you are a human being. You are not defined by, by God, by your desires, by your habits and by your proclivities or even by your actions. The sinful lifestyle that you are pursuing is not who you are. It is sin dwelling inside you. God made you and in the book of Genesis, God said that everything that he made was very good and God has not changed his mind. Even you, sinner, even you are very good. You are still just as good as you were on the day of creation. 
But the sin that inhabits your being is a foreign substance. It was not created as part of God's original creation. Those seeds of sin that are sprouting up within you, they were planted by your enemy, the devil. It's not you. It is sin dwelling in you. Sin dwells in you. Sin dwells in all mankind. But the problem is that sin has so enmeshed itself into your persona that you cannot distinguish between it and yourself. You define yourself by your sinful actions, by your sinful desires. You see yourself as a doing and not as a being. God doesn't see you that way. You are destroying relationships. You are placing your own self into exile because you think that you are not accepted by man and you are not accepted by God, but you are accepted sinner. It is sin that is not accepted. And if by the grace of God you can learn to distinguish between yourself and your sin, you will be far more peaceful within. It is not you who is doing the sin. It is sin himself. Sin is a squatter that has taken up residence within you without your permission, and you simply lack the power to evict him. That's your problem. You have a squatter in your house. And because of this, because of this, Paul concludes in verse 18 that good does not dwell in us. Doesn't mean that I never do good, but it does mean that, that good is not a permanent aspect of my character. Goodness does not have permanent residence within me, and goodness certainly does not have nearly as much influence over my life and my actions as sin does. I am ruled and overruled by sin. No good thing dwells in me, Paul says. But then he says more specifically that no good thing dwells in my flesh. Now he's drawing a distinction. No good thing dwells in me. Wait a minute, let me, let me clarify. No good thing dwells in my flesh in particular, not in my spirit. No good thing dwells in my flesh is what he says. No good thing dwells in my material self my social self. No good thing dwells in that aspect of myself that has been shaped and formed by society, by my past experiences, by my environment, or even by my own misconceptions. That is my flesh. Flesh is the body indwelled by sin, contaminated by sin. And this flesh, my flesh, overrides my very will. Paul says it. Paul says, for the is present in good is not. I want to obey the law, but I find, alas, that I cannot. I cannot consistently do good. That is the cry of all of humanity. I will to do good because I can see that doing good leads to peace and security and affirmation and support. 
Every human wants a life devoid of pressures and struggles and wars. That's what I want. That's what every person wants. That's what we all want. But the only way we can attain to these most sought after ideals is to obey the law of God. I want to obey the law, but I cannot master myself, my fleshly inclinations. The will is present. I am more than willing to do the good that God commands, but I lack the power to overcome my flesh. The flesh is stronger than me. The flesh is crafted and fortified by the world, and I have no true recourse against it. Hmm. Humanity is in bondage to sin. He says in verse 19, the good that mankind wants, it does not do. But sinful humanity practices the very evil that it does not want. And this is the conundrum. This is the mystery of sin at work within us. And we cannot easily distinguish between sin and ourselves, but by some heavenly reasoning. Paul is able to separate and then to examine these two distinct features of every human person. He is able to discern the daylight between my will and my flesh. And Paul the Apostle makes this revolutionary observation in verse 20. That if I do the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it but sin that dwells in me. Wow. That is the situation for every unbeliever, for every sinner in the world. And by the way, this is the concept that should color and inform the minds of every believer whenever we confront sinners. Because this is the way God views the sinner. God views the sinner not as a perpetrator, but as the victim of sin. You ever thought about it that way? God views the sinner not as the perpetrator, but as the victim of sin. And this is why God shows mercy, because God recognizes that the sinner is merely a victim, a casualty of war. Jesus Christ came into the world, he said, to save the sick, not to berate the sinner. The sinner is just the one who is sick. The sinner is the one who is in search of a remedy. But the sinner is looking for the remedy in most of the wrong places. And that's only because the sinner doesn't know what he or she is doing. This is the way God views the sinner. All of this talking and pounding and being angry at people for their sin is a waste of time. That is not the way God views the sinner. God views the sinner as being infested and infected by sin and in need of a cure. And when we approach the sinner from this vantage point, 
Our hearts should be filled with mercy, realizing, recognizing that the sinner is actually a prisoner and a hostage, not in control of their own bodies. They are conflicted, held hostage by sin that has thoroughly convinced them that sin is actually who they are. Paul says, I find then, I find then this principle, this law, this rule, that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. Now remember, he's not talking for himself. He's talking about humanity, the human condition. He says, I find then a universal principle that sin, that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. Evil is present in me. Sin is present in me. I am infected and I didn't even know it. I would have never known it had God not sent the law. But as I observe the glaring inconsistencies between my actions and my deepest desires, I have come to recognize that there is something about me, something within me that does not wish me well. I have an enemy within. I have an enemy within. Verse 22, Paul says, for I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person. Now stay with me for this. Paul says, I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person. Who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself? No. Who is he talking about? Paul is talking about every human being. Every human being joyfully agrees with the law of God in the inner person. <laughs> it's going to make sense in a minute. What is this inner person then? My inner person is that aspect of myself that is my truest self, my essence and the core of my being, my inner person, stay with me, my inner person is my spirit. The inner person of every human being, whether saint or sinner, the inner person of every human joyfully agrees with the law of God. Because the inner person, the spirit of a man, sees and knows the truth. The spirit of a man cannot be tempted or coerced or imprisoned or put into bondage. Only the body can. This is the problem. The body becomes the challenge. The inner person is free already. And the way that humanity was designed by God to work is that the inner person, my spirit man, is, to, is supposed to be in communion and constant communion with God. The highest part of myself is my inner person. And my inner person is supposed to be in communion with God at all times. My spirit man is supposed to inform my mind and my soul. This is what God commands. And my soul is supposed to inform my body and my body is supposed to obey. 
That is the chain of command. That is the order that God set in place. Man is to lead from his inner person. And from his spirit, from his inner person, he is to instruct his mind and his soul and his body is supposed to follow God's commands. That's the way it's supposed to work. That's why Jesus says, they that worship the Father must worship him in spirit because that is the highest form of yourself, your inner person. But what happened to us then? Why are we not leading from the Spirit? What is wrong with us? What is wrong with us is that in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, the power structure was inverted and overturned. And now, now, instead of leading from my spirit to my soul, instructing my body, everything is upside down. And we lead from our bodies. We lead from our flesh. And the flesh informs the soul, and the soul puts the spirit to death. We lead from the flesh, and we're supposed to be leading from the inner person. The inner person is glad to obey the law of God. It is only the flesh that is our problem. A powerful opponent he is. Even the sinner gladly obeys and loves and, and understands the laws of God in his inner person. But he cannot overcome his flesh. Paul says, in my inner person, I gladly and joyfully uh, uh, obey the law of God. But, but, uh, but I see a different law in parts of, not of my mind, in parts of, not of my soul, in parts of, not of my, I see a different law in the parts of my body. That's where sin is, in the body. My flesh, my contaminated body, and it is waging war against the law of my mind. It is waging war against my inner person keeping me from doing what God commands, my body. My flesh, my contaminated body has taken over. And now, instead of me living my life from the top down, from the spirit to the body, I am living my life from the bottom up, from the flesh to the spirit. Instead of my life being informed by the law of God, I live my life according to the dictates and the designs of a fallen humanity in accordance with the philosophies of this world and not according to the truth of God. And therefore, therefore, my inner person, my spirit man, is deprived of a relationship with God because my spirit has been overthrown and is no longer in control of my person. This law. This rule has been forced upon mankind and we have no ability to disobey the law of sin and work within us. This law of sin is waging war against everything within us that is good. And we try to fight back and sometimes we do okay, but more often than not we lose the battle to the flesh. 
Paul says that this law, this principle of indwelling sin has made me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law of which is in my body parts. This is the situation of every sinner, no matter what sin he or she is committed to. We are wretched. Paul cries out vicariously for every human soul and declares, wretched man that I am. Oh. This is the most potent, but the most accurate way to understand our human condition. Oh, wretched man that I am. To be wretched is to be miserable. Oh, miserable man that I am. You know it's miserable to not be able to do the things that you want to do. It's miserable. My mother-in-law was watching TV the other day. And there was a woman on television who weighed over 400 pounds. And she was sitting there in front of the camera and she was eating donuts and pastries and spaghetti and all of this stuff. Her parents would just give her all of this stuff. She was already over 400 pounds and she was sitting there and she was just eating everything. And while she was eating, she was crying wishing she could just stop, wishing she would do more exercise. Yet against her own will, she continues to eat and to eat and to eat, even though that is not what she desires to do. I thought that was a perfect example She is a slave to food. She is miserable. And her plight symbolizes the plight of us all, wishing we could stop watching pornography, wishing we could abate our sexual inclinations, wishing we could stop lying because it's doing us no good and it's harming our relationships. But like a dog returning to its own vomit, we return again and again and again to the very thing that is killing us. To the very thing that robs us of our vitality and makes war against our freedom. Oh, catastrophic and doomed man that I am. I am a walking disaster. I am an oxymoron full of conflicted ambitions and I need to find a way out. Paul asked the rhetorical question, oh wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? I am miserable. My sin is killing me. I can't break free. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Ultimately speaking and technically speaking, this is what it means to be saved, to be set free from the body of this death. That's what it means to be saved, to be released from the chain that binds me to this flesh, to obey its every demand, to submit and to pursue its every whim. This is what it means to be free, to be detangled, to be decoupled 
from the body of this death. O wretched man that I am, what is the remedy to my malady? What is the solution to my eternal problem? Every person, every person, brothers and sisters, every person is asking this same question. Every human soul is seeking the remedy for the void that lies within them. We are not all coming to the same conclusion as to what that solution is, but we're all looking for the same sense of freedom, the same sense of satisfaction that comes from following our better angels. We're all looking for that. The person who is smoking drugs, they're looking for the same thing. The person involved in that unhealthy relationship, she's looking for the same thing, a sense of relief and deliverance and freedom from the body of this death. For a better life, for a more peaceful and more prosperous existence. Every human soul is looking for deliverance from the body of this death, from the reality of their existence. The outcomes that derive from a life well lived is the objective of every human soul. But we are bound to this body of death. So who will set us free, Paul says. Then he answers the question, verse 25, and says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yeah. Now that he's really defined the human situation, the human tragedy, now he gives us the answer to the question, who would thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God through Jesus Christ our Lord will set us free from the body of this death. And whom the Son of God sets free will be free indeed. And now Paul recaps the lesson that he's labored to convey to us in this chapter. He wants to give us a recap of the human condition. And he says, so then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. In other words, Paul is saying, my spirit is capable, my spirit is desirous, and my spirit is in fact created to only serve the law of God. And it is only by my spirit that I am able to obey that law because the law is also spiritual. The law is spiritual, and the only way to obey the law is in and by the Spirit. With my mind, I am serving the law of God. But the defect, the malfunction lies in my contaminated body, so that on the other hand, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And I want to reiterate right here, I want to reiterate that Paul is not talking about the believer. I want to make this very clear. Paul is not talking about the believer here. Paul is giving us a 30,000 foot view of human moral history. The believer, the follower of Jesus Christ is not serving the law of sin. Through Jesus Christ, our flesh has already been crucified by faith in Christ, and we are no longer the servants of sin. 
Jesus Christ has already set us free from sin. And by sanctification, we begin to see the fruit of righteousness manifest in our bodies from the spirit man. And over time, we come to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Well, that sounds good, Pastor. But I've been saved for 15 years. I've been saved for 20 years. I'm still sinning. So how can you say that I'm not under bondage to sin? Here's the answer to that question. That the degree to which we have overcome sin in our lives is commensurate to the intensity of our faith in the truth that through Jesus Christ we have been set free. Why are you still sinning? Either because you do not yet fully understand or more than likely because you do not fully believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more you believe the gospel, the more intensely you believe the gospel, the less sin you commit. When you truly believe that Jesus Christ has taken your place and that the body of this death has been done away with forever, when you truly believe that, your life begins to manifest what you believe. And it all starts with a better understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what it really means, and after understanding, to place your faith in what God has said concerning you. God has said that you are justified. God has said that you are righteous. And if you believe it, righteous living is just around the corner for you. The believer is no longer in bondage to sin. The believer sins willingly, not unwillingly. That's something to think about, isn't it? The believer sins willingly. The sinner sins unwillingly. The believer sins willingly. We have access to the liberty in the Holy Spirit. We have to choose not to avail ourselves of it. The unbeliever doesn't have that recourse. He is in complete bondage with no way out except through receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I hope this helps us all to gain some clarity as to the human condition, the human problem that we're facing. So that when we go out into the world to minister to the unbeliever, we can show more mercy, understanding that they are not the perpetrator. They are merely a victim, a casualty of a war that had nothing really to do with them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. We want to thank you today, Father God, that when we were sinners, when we were in total and complete bondage to our bodies, that you sent Jesus Christ into the world to save us from the body of this death. Thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for your salvation. I pray for us, Father God, that you will give us the strength and the courage to make full use of the grace that you have given to us 
through the cross of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father God, you'll give us the strength and the power by your Holy Spirit to overcome habitual sin in our lives. That you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. We trust in you and we desire with all that is in us to obey your law. Thank you for the place that you brought us to to this point and we pray, Father God, that you will continue to sanctify us and that we will learn how to yield to your Holy Spirit and let him have his way in purging us, in purifying us, in releasing us from the body of this death that seeks only to do our harm. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his precious blood, who gave up his body in exchange for my own, who became sin for me so that I could be called the righteousness of God. In Jesus' name.